1: Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gowrightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Goulias, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. Alright guys, welcome back to Conspira Normal. It's your host Adam. Sir Fiel's here as well. Last year... At the Strange Realities Conference, Serfiel and I had the privilege of being interviewed for a magazine called Paranormality Magazine. They specialize in the paranormal and other types of uh, subjects in the same genre. And we were really happy to be featured, I think, in the December issue about the conference about Strange Realities and uh they sent one of their reporters their crack reporters here to nashville to cover our little humble strange realities conference and that reporter is who we're talking to tonight nick valenzuela who's first time on Conspiracy normal nick welcome to the show
2: yeah thank you guys for having me i'm excited excited to officially be uh featured when i've uh, been listening for so long so yeah yeah, it's awesome, man.
1: Um uh, we we were we were really uh happy to have you interview us at uh, the Str- Strange Realities conference and happy to have you uh, have you attend and and check everything out. I think you watched most of the presentations. If I'm Oh
3: yeah, I was there. Correct.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I I was enthralled. I sat through through most of everything. Um the only thing um I think I missed was uh late Saturday night uh, which which kind of sucked cuz those were some of the bigger ones um but I, everything else I was there for yeah i
1: think that was um i can remember that uh greenfield was the last one nathan isaac i think recluse was that same night as well so which we've got a a great lineup this year too and a great saturday night planned i'm still kind of hashing out the schedule but i kind of know what we're going to what we're going to do so hopefully going to have the schedule up But Nick, this is all about you. We want to talk to you tonight about the things that you've been working on. And uh, you were gracious enough to send us some articles that we could read. And I read a few of them today. And I want to talk a little bit about some of these articles tonight. And some of your your own investigations into the paranormal and the weird stuff that we always talk about on this show. Uh, But what I always like to do is talk about kind of like the personal journey and what got Nick interested in the paranormal?
2: Oh, gosh. I think uh, it. W- I was born interested, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I was a kid of the 90s, so, you know, when I grew up, there was sort of that, like, sweet spot of, um, I think Fox was really kind of pushing, uh, you know, paranormal stuff, paranormal content out there. You obviously had the X-Files, um, but what really gripped me was, uh the TV show sightings when I oh, was out yeah, was, yeah. Mm. sightings man that that show changed my life I, I would uh pick that over cartoons even as like a, a youngster
3: <laughs> yeah totally me too
2: <laughs> so that 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 instantly kind of uh plugged me in and I you know there was um my grandfather uh had these uh uh mysteries of the universe uh, time life books and yeah. he had like the, the full complete stack and I would just sit there and go through those things for hours, uh, staring at like the men in black pictures and, and mm-hmm. just kind of like educating myself through all those things. Um, so it, it, it I got bit by the bug really early on, uh, you know, it, and as I grew up, I just, you know, consumed a lot of that, uh, paranormal content media, um, travel channel, all those stations, a sci-fi channel later on, you know, so I, it was just something I was always into. Uh, I was probably one of the youngest kids out there listening to coast to coast with art bell. Uh, I remember being like six or seven and and just playing that stuff. Oh uh, wow, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's really young. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I learned uh, really early on. It was uh, it, uh, I think somebody in my family was listening to it one night and then I just, I learned the station that it was on yeah, and I would, I would basically fall asleep to it uh, every night. So I was, uh, I was that weird kid that was just all about this stuff. I had stacks of paranormal books in my backpack. And so, yeah, I, I was basically a lost cause from, from an early age.
3: <laughs> awesome, man. You sound yeah. like a true conspiranormalist.
1: I was much the same way. Always checking out the same book about ghosts from the library or, or whatever. Uh, sightings i remember watching some of it like i saw but really unsolved mysteries was bigger for me like when i was like a when i was like a i don't know 11 or 12 years old sightings i was too cool for school by the time that that came on, <laughs> a little bit but uh
3: i was all about sightings and the yeah. uh i remember renting did you ever rent the uh alien autopsy video from <laughs> blockbuster
2: yeah definitely
1: I used to have the alien autopsy video.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's funny. I uh, It's funny you, you, you asked that, too, because uh, that was basically what kind of started me on this path in a way was that I remember asking like adults. I was a kid and I would ask adults in the background of sightings, there were people that were just sort of there for the camera, but they were like typing on computers mm-hmm. and it looked like they were doing investigative research. Right. spooky, And I would ask everybody, like, how do you get that job? What job is that? Like, what, what is it? And- <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Thinking that was a real job. And eventually as you grow up, you know, you start to learn, well, okay, I guess the only way you really could sort of, pawn this off as a career is to, is to sort of take that media angle. So journalism, multimedia, reporting, um, digital media, and and you kind of go down that route. And and if you specialize enough, you can eventually sort of find a way to, to focus everything in on, uh, you know, the, that niche interest that that you have. But, uh, that was uh, one of the things I I searched for as a kid was like, how, how do you actually like do that for a living? (laughs)
1: To be the person in the background on sightings, busily tapping away on their computer. <laughs> so, you know, like, I need to know more information on the, <laughs> on Rendlesham Forest, quick. I need, to, I need to know what's going on in Rendlesham Forest right now. <laughs> Those really were some, like, interesting times in television. What I remember the, the biggest, O2, like, you know, I, by the time of this time I was already an adult was, you know, when Ghost Hunters came around right like i kind of lost interest in a lot of the like paranormal stuff for just like a for a few years and then once that came around i got sparked my interest back up in mm-hmm. it you know and so i really started listening to coast to coast and those type of things and um,
2: yeah definitely i mean it, it's funny that you know now that stuff is a little bit uh frowned upon when you get really really invested in into the subject but you know those early years of Ghost Hunters and some some of that stuff. It, it was good. Like it, it it it's funny now that I think we all sort of are like uh with reality TV. But some of those early uh some of those early shows were were pretty addictive. I think. I thought the first two
1: seasons, if not the just the first season, were like probably the best because yeah. it wasn't trying to be too Hollywood. It wasn't trying to be too. Um, to reality tv they were just trying to like show what the life was like for ghost hunters and when things actually didn't happen it added more validity right to, to the show once Definitely. things started happening all the time that's when it right that's when it started getting old you know and
3: everybody um, needs some like accessible entry point into the stuff you know everyone right. is not like just born like so hardcore and, and uh, you know, on a high level already with everything, you know, everyone, everyone was a poser at some point, you know, although it sounds like you were never really a poser, (laughs) Uh, but, but, you know, everyone needs something accessible and this stuff is really about so much of this paranormal culture is really about media and the history of this media. That's really where all these ideas spread.
2: That's definitely true. I mean, uh, I mean, that's pretty much the, the gateway entry point for for almost all of us that are, you know, at least born in, you know, any time where you had a TV put in front of you. I mean, they're, they're you know, I, I hear a lot of people always say like their, their starting point was in search of which, right. you know, a lot of times is. Is kind of everybody's uh, first love there, so I mean it, it's uh, you know, and, and then you grow and you and you gain the knowledge, but yeah, th- those uh, those media shows are definitely an entry point. So how'd you get started um, writing for Paranormality Magazine? So I got uh, started with Paranormality. I basic actually spinning off of the the media stuff. I, I started a uh, a website and a social media page called California Creepy Pasta, which basically was, uh, it was sort of a, an idea that stemmed from kind of these digital age urban legends that are, that are kind of out there about, yeah you know, uh, a devil's road or, or something weird like that. And, um, you know, basically these stories that don't really have a source, they just kind of are, are these rumors online. And I thought it would be cool to just kind of grab a camera, go to those places, show people this is where this happened. This is where this took place. Um, and, and, uh, creepy pasta is sort of an amalgamation of of two copy, the two words, copy pasta or copy pasta, that they kind of started with all the like four Chan chats and everything. And it was basically these stories that kind of started without any source. And I focused it in California. That's where I'm from. So, uh, it just sort of grew from there, California, creepy pasta. And, um, you know, I just kind of started doing it because I wanted to have an outlet to talk about spooky things and, and kind of build that community. Uh, and a lot of stuff grew from that, which was kind of a nice surprise for me. Uh, I was able to, to write for Paranormality Magazine, I was able to get some media opportunities. Uh, and it just sort of uh, grew from there. So that that's where they initially found me. Um, and, and just sort of were like, hey, you know, um, you seem to like this sort of boots on the ground style. Uh, why don't you kind of be our boots on the ground investigator? Yeah, for these stories, and they sent me out into the world, and now I uh, get to pretend I'm John Keel uh, once a month.
3: <laughs> no, it's cool. You've got like that first person Gonzo journalism, occult detective type of thing, um, and you're you know you're doing it in that style. There's there's so many people now. We're talking about how these media's are changing uh, who, you know, only do like vlogs or podcasts, but like, you're really rooted in, in, in writing also in addition to everything else that you do.
2: Yeah. It's, it, it's, it definitely feels like I'm sort of doing things in, from a different, in, in sort of a different time it, where I'm just sort of writing my stories instead of uh, vlogging them or, or, um, you know, uh, kind of just doing like, uh, you know, sort of uh, like a YouTube page or something like that. It, it, so it, there's sort of that like romanticized feeling to it, which is actually pretty cool for me. Um, like you said, you know, it's sort of that the Gonzo style journalism. Um, but I, at the same time, I get to talk to a lot of different people that, that you know, have these personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's, uh, you know, you, you get sort of, um you get that added accessibility, I think, because you're not shoving a camera in people's face, you just get to kind of ask them questions just person to person i think a lot of times people that's a good point yeah Yeah, right i think people freeze up a little bit because they're not a youtuber they're not a vlogger so if you just shove a camera in their face and you ask them to explain to you you know you saw you know a light in the sky or something like that talk about it they might be afraid to kind of uh, open up about it but when you're just sort of talking face to face and they have that sort of mask of anonymity there uh they usually open up a lot more so i think that's
3: it's, I'm like, getting yeah. to
2: access, yeah, yeah. I'm getting to access something that is a little lost right now. I think
3: it gives them the opportunity to like self-edit better too. They can be like, "Well, don't say I said this," and exactly even, that's even different for something like a podcast. You know, sometimes I gotta timestamp stuff because someone's like, "Wait, I didn't really want to say that. Yeah. Don't put that out there." Right. And I always honor that. But that's really cool that you're keeping that alive and and you're really getting a lot out of it.
2: I'm trying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It, I started doing it and I didn't really understand uh, how much I was sort of kind of living the dream that I, that I wanted. And now that I've sort of realized like, Oh gosh, I get to like throw myself into a, you know, a story of high strangeness once a month. uh, I, I really couldn't have asked for more. So it's, it's definitely cool.
3: (laughs) So you're not only that person in the background on sightings, but then you're also like the (laughs) main investigator. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be. Uh, what was it Tim White was the host? Trying try to be both.
1: <laughs> we sent our we sent our special team out to investigate yeah, yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> team to investigate the Sally House or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, the uh, Sally. So in doing this with California Creepy Pasta, what what was your favorite or like your weirdest thing that you investigated, or something that you something that you like cleared up some of the rumors about, or something like that.
2: I'd say my my favorite thing to look into was uh, I sort of retraced all the hot spots that were associated with uh, Jack Parsons just because I've always been yeah. mm-hmm. kind of he's just been a he's a very trippy story. So it was kind of cool to go uh, check out like Cal Poly and still see some some like monikers that had his name associated with him. Um, I went to devil's gate dam, which is, uh, you know, where they would kind of go out him and, in and L Ron Hubbard and, yeah. and do their Babylon working stuff from time to time when they weren't going out to the Mojave or, 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 those other places. Um, and then, yeah, when I went out to devil's gate dam, I, um, you're, you can actually like go into, uh, the dam area Uh, and kind of go underneath the big rock outcropping that kind of looks like a devil's head. Um, And so the, they call that um, uh, the natives, uh, first nations people of that area used to say the coyote spirit lived in there. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting that, you know, the trickster, the coyote, Mm -hmm. all kind of tied in there. And so they said they would hear laughing uh, in the cave uh, or in that, in that dam area uh, so I went in there and I caught a laugh that there was very, very clear. I put that on my uh, Instagram, I believe. Uh, so that was really interesting that I, I don't typically do straight up paranormal investigations on a lot of these things. But that time I just I kind of pulled out a digital recorder and asked some questions uh, and I caught that. So that that to me was kind of cool to to actually catch something. Whoa. Yeah, that was uh, and it's very clear Like in the in the tape. It's not like one of those muffled EVPs. It doesn't really sound like anything. It's a clear laugh. Um, so that was cool. It was cool to kind of jump into, into that. Um,
3: can we get audio of that from you and and like, yeah, yeah. I'll
2: I'll shoot that over to you guys for sure. It's, um, it's, uh, it's also on the Instagram page. I'll I'll shoot you, um, like the raw footage of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a trippy, (laughs) it was a trippy thing and you can tell in the video that I don't react to it at all. Um, I think I'm adjusting the light on my camera. So I'm just sort of there and you catch this laugh. Uh, So it's pretty trippy. It is crazy dark in here. Uh, So that was probably my favorite one to do. One that I cleared up some... Um, some misconceptions with, um, I think, I think, uh, some of the Winchester mystery house stuff, um, that's the famous big, uh, mansion from Sarah Winchester, uh, out in San Jose. Um, you know, I, I, I did a little bit into that where it was, uh, she actually moved out there with her entire family. She didn't move out there, um. Alone and, and, uh, you know, like heartbroken and, and mad. And there was, there's a lot of research that kind of showed that she, uh, she had her wits about her. There's some like historical documents. Um, but that still, to me, that doesn't necessarily negate that that house, uh, couldn't have been, uh, a beacon for, for odd things. So, uh, but I think it, it just dispelled some of the rumors of her, um, compulsion to build the house in the weird way that she did.
1: Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty fascinating story. The
2: whole uh, mm-hmm.
1: Winchester mystery house for sure.
2: And that that's actually um, where I'm from. I'm from San Jose, uh, California. Okay. So that probably also added um, to my background a little bit where I grew up in San Jose and down the street was, you know, quote unquote, one of the world's most famous haunted houses. So I think that also, <laughs> uh, you're just, you, you, you drive by it every single day and you're like, wow, you know, uh I wonder what goes on there. Any activity
1: experience there by yourself, or just...
2: Um, no, not there. the The only access I really got there was just uh, to do, uh, like a a paid for tour. Um, I didn't. I never uh, was able to get any special access there. Um, but it's still it's definitely a cool place to check out if uh, you're ever in the San Jose area.
1: Yeah, that is a place that I'd like to see for sure. I did go to the, um, was it the Whaley house in San Diego?
2: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's also another really cool place. Uh, Yeah. California has, you know, some of those like, uh, you know, romanticized haunted houses out here, even though it's a place you don't usually associate with, uh, you know, the sort of ghostly lore uh, in kind of an old fashioned sense.
3: Well, ghosts like the sunny weather too. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) You investigated uh, the Fresno Nightcrawlers. I did. Yeah, yeah that was a, that was an interesting article, man. I uh, you know I really did not know much about that other than when it you know the video that came out, and I really wasn't aware that that was like a set or like a third or fourth generation video either. Right, like what whatever was shown on TV, and I remember that being a big thing univision was probably the first (laughs) yeah (laughs) actually the first one (laughs) to actually talk about that and then it kind of came into like the into like the american media too but um let's talk about that some of the things that you found out there i mean what's like well first of all what is a fresno nightcrawler (laughs) Uh, because there could be many different interpretations of that i'm sure but
2: right right uh,
1: what is it that uh that these people were seeing
2: So that story is actually I've been able to sort of uh, uncover some new some new information kind of going back to the start there. The Fresno Nightcrawler story Um, in 2007 uh, on like CCTV footage, uh, a man known as Jose captured what looks to be sort of basically just this humanoid looking creature that uh walks on two legs but it's basically just two legs uh it, it's a really odd looking which is now i guess classified as a cryptid um but it's a really odd looking creature and you see two of them walk across his lawn and uh that like i said that footage blew up in the media uh it started on univision and then moved over to to american media it's a, the 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 likeness of the these cryptids are all over Etsy now and in everybody's shop. It. They they've grown this sort of uh uh fandom because a lot of people find them to be cute. They're sort of the cute uh cryptid that's out there. Uh the original investigator, uh, was, uh um, Victor Camacho, uh he was a, a he was associated with Mufon. He came out um and originally he just saw the the footage uh, at the news station in Fresno um, from Univision. He eventually was able to connect with Jose, the man who took the footage and do an investigation at their house and they start they were able to kind of figure out roughly how tall um the 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 night crawlers were uh, They were roughly about two feet tall, tiny little <laughs> <laughs> tiny little guys um you know, and so it's it sort of, you know, it sort of just built from there, th- this uh, sort of odd anomaly. A little after that, there were some footage shot in uh, 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 outside of Yosemite National Park, and those creatures looked a little bit different. That footage has definitely been a lot more scrutinized. Um, but the original Nightcrawler footage just kind of, was what it was it it, there were a couple of different reality television shows that tried to debunk it and they really couldn't and the story just kind of died off after that um eventually uh news got around that jose had passed away and that was sort of the end of of the story and that's kind of where everybody was left with it i was able to connect with the actual family i was able to go to the actual house um and I asked a lot of follow-up questions as you kind of do with a lot of these things of, was anything else going on. Um, and they proceeded to tell me a pretty crazy story, uh, where, uh, they were, that wasn't the only thing that was going on basically right after the, the night crawlers event happened. Uh, they were seeing ghost children essentially all throughout their house. Um, and it actually culminated once with uh, uh, Jose and his brother, Rogelio, who was really the person that, that gave me a lot of the information, uh, spotted a child in the closet uh, with uh, solid black eyes. Um, so it, that instantly sort of uh, perked me up. And then I started paying a lot more attention to uh, some of the things they were telling me Whereas Jose was feeling these extreme amounts of fear uh, associated with the night crawlers, And I found that interesting as to where everybody else's reaction to these cryptids, if you want to call them that were cuddly and cute. And this guy was like deathly afraid. I, I found old video footage of him talking about how he was afraid to pick up his kids from school. He was afraid to leave the house. He just had this like immense sense of fear Uh, associated with the creatures and and now they're they're starting to see kids in the house and the the family kept saying oh well we were seeing these kids but they had solid black eyes and if anybody's familiar with the black-eyed kids phenomenon uh that is one of the the most notable uh attributes associated with them is they give off this immense sense of fear and dread um and so I found that really interesting that the family were, were seeing all these things and they were feeling this way. And it's, it's a little bit of a black eyed kid story that was kind of masked as this Fresno night uh, uh, story. And I found it interesting to where the, the, the trope with the black eyed kids is that you constantly um, get bombarded by them and they ask for permission to be let in. Mm. and eventually Rogelio, the brother of Jose informed me that, uh, the family, uh, just sort of said like, Oh, to the, to these ghost children, you can stay here. Uh, you can stay at the house. And they basically, uh, gave them permission to, to stay into the house. Um, so it, it was just sort of an interesting thing. And eventually, uh, Jose, Uh, the brother of Rogelio that originally reported the story uh, passed away. And one of the things that kind of comes up a lot with black eyed kids, is they are paranormal parasites. They drain you uh, until, you know, you have no energy left or potentially you pass away. That's sort of the, the stories that are out there with, if you actually let them into your house. So I just thought that was an interesting, it was an interesting addition to the story that hadn't previously been reported.
1: After this man passed away, did they continue to see these, these creatures?
2: So that was the thing he told me that now they're on good terms with the kids and they're not uh, afraid of them anymore. And he says that Uh he was really cryptic about it. He, he, he said that they, they still show up from time to time, but there's no more sense of fear. Um, and I, I just thought that was a really odd (laughs) choice of words there. Yeah. Um, and so it—it it was just—it was an odd story in—in—in in, in terms of that. And I also sort of uh, threw out there that, um, you know, the the night crawlers could potentially just have been sort of like a a putty for the other, if you know, or the phenomenon, whatever you want to call it. Um, shortly before you see the night crawlers pop up on uh, on camera, there there seems to be a little bit of a of a flash. And then they just sort of pop up and appear and, and walk across the lawn. Um, and I, I asked some some friends in, in more like occult circles um, some questions about the shape of the, the nightcrawlers. They appear to sort of be triangular in shape. And I sort of associated that with black triangle UFOs and just sort of like popping up and appearing. And uh, I kind of point out into the, in the article some... Some interesting uses of the triangle and in, in like goatian summoning rituals and and things like that so i i, hmm. I speculated that the art the night might be something else entirely than just a a cryptid
3: yeah, it may not fit into biology <laughs> really uh, but right but who knows you know evolution's pretty weird, so I kind of think of why that makes sense, but
2: right with all these cryptids for the most part um you know i i you know I definitely don't tend to be um more in the flesh and blood camp, you know, I, I definitely tend to think there's, there's something weirder or stranger going on with a lot of these things. So, um, you know, to me, that was, uh, it was just a story that seemed to have a lot of these um, tropes of high strangeness kind of all kind of uh, culminate together um, just by asking the simple question, you know, was anything more going on? I, I, I got to speak to Victor Camacho who originally reported on the Nightcrawler story um, and he didn't. He informed me that the family had never told him about any of the the sightings of the the kids with black eyes. Speaking to the family, I didn't get the feeling that they were aware of what black eyed children were, or they weren't mm-hmm. aware of some of those tropes associated with, um, you know, the black what, what black eyed kids are and do. So I just thought that was an interesting tie-in at the end of it all
3: that's almost better to get witnesses who aren't already like so encultured into the the paranormal subcultures like and see what their interpretation is
2: yeah they're not front-loaded right right it was uh it was definitely it was eye-opening uh i i could tell they had no idea what that was and they just sort of were under the impression that these are ghost children that are at our house and they they kept talking about how they just thought that their property was most likely haunted and they didn't really see the association potentially there with, uh, Jose and him potentially being targeted by whatever, you know, all these beings were. Uh, one of the things that was interesting to me that was pointed out by Victor Camacho, um, by another uh, investigator in the Fresno area where that uh, most people associate the nightcrawlers with having black eyes too. Um, there's ar- arguably at one point in the video, one of the nightcrawlers does somewhat look, seem to look up toward the camera and the eyes do come off as being just solid black. So it's uh, yeah, it, that definitely changes the perspective of the story uh, to me and uh was definitely one of the the things that I think wasn't really out there in sort of the paranormal zeitgeist of of everything to where the story had a lot of different layers other than just uh some funny looking cryptids walking across the lawn.
1: did this family associate what was going on inside the house with these like black eyed children they were It didn't seem like they the had icons?
2: ever put put that together they they yeah. just sort of um you know they were they were a Mexican family and they were very um, you know they, they made it very known that they were Catholic, uh, which is sort of <laughs> I'm used to that I'm Mexican and I grew up a, a, in a Catholic household so I I sure. understood kind of the perspective of where they were coming from they didn't really want to talk about it they thought if they just sort of ignored a lot of the situations that they would sort of be left alone by it or if they were more welcoming to it they would be left alone by it. Um, so they they were basically not putting a lot of thought
3: into right. it. It sounds like they had a, a place for it already. Right. Know, like to fit into and it wasn't like a need to like oh my god what is this I have to know, you know. It's like it, yeah. it already had a place.
2: Yeah, it definitely. It's uh it, it was something that I think um, was and i think there were there were some aspects of it to where they were fearful that um if they acknowledged it more it was going to the activity was going to ramp up um there was an obvious nervousness of, of even talking about it with me uh you know yeah. to, to to anything going on further um but it was definitely uh one of the more interesting stories I've ever covered to, to kind of have this uh, really well-known video and and encrypted and phenomenon. And and then just to kind of get a little bit more information on it and to find a whole other uh, set of stories and a whole other set of uh, odd occurrences going on. And that, I think a lot of times that that's what happens with a lot of these stories. If you just sort of go into a Bigfoot story and you're, you're just asking Bigfoot questions you might miss out on Well, you know, the while well, he came out of a craft or, you know, he was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was a woman right. in white following him or something like that. Right. Right. Which you hear again and again in a lot of different uh,
1: stories. The, the video itself, I mean, you, 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 in the article, you lay out these like kind of four steps. What was eventually seen by the public went through
2: some, some steps. So has anybody seen the actual original video? So that's an interesting aspect to the story, too. The original video is it still exists. Uh, however, it is trapped in the camcorder um, that Jose uh, originally had. Uh, so the, they actually have tried over the years to get the original uh, footage out of the camera, but it's it sort of stuck. In there, so it kind of goes into that category of missing evidence, right? Where Mm -hmm. it seems like the phenomenon negates itself in a way. Um, the way Jose explained it originally to Victor Camacho, and then the way Rogelio explained it to me was that the security camera system that they had. If they rewound the the tape that was uh, in that was recording the footage, it would delete the uh, the footage on the tape. So basically, Jose had to grab a separate camcorder and record the monitor. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so even the original Nightcrawler footage, the 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 best quality of it is a copy of a copy. Yeah. Um. So that that's one of the interesting aspects of the story. So it's it's again, it's going to be harder to to analyze and to disprove or to prove. Um, so it's uh, it, it's an interesting thing. Uh, the tape is still intact, and and I know for a fact, our, our Paranormality magazine team is putting together a little project to uh, hopefully release the original uh, tape. So we're putting together, uh, a little side project right now, as we speak, um, to try to showcase that actual footage or that original footage that that uh, Jose took. So we're we're figuring out a way to to safely remove that uh, cassette tape out of that camcorder.
1: Yeah, that would be excellent because it might the quality may be so much better, or you'll see a lot more detail, maybe. Right. I'm just curious about this. You interviewed Victor Camacho. Did you take this picture? That's
2: in the article. Uh, no, no. He, uh, I believe that's a picture he sent me. I'm just curious about those little figurines. Like what's up with those? Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no, Victor's a, he's a really interesting guy. He, he actually, um, he went with the idea that the nightcrawlers were more of like a mantis type, uh, he extraterrestrial entities. Right. He sort of concluded there. Um, but he's, he's had a whole bunch of di- interesting stories himself um, as well. He got to investigate uh, almost like a Mothman-looking creature that was more bat-like in appearance in Mexico. So he, had, he has some definite uh, crazy stories out there. But uh, yeah, he was, the, he was the first investigator to really kind of jump in and, uh, and uh, get the, the full Nightcrawler story. Um, but I think a lot of the, the black-eyed kid stuff sort of happened after his initial investigation. And I don't believe uh, Jose or Rogelio or any of the family members had contacted him uh, about any of the, that stuff going on. Cool.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting case. Um, it's some interesting, neat um, tangents that go on in this with the black-eyed kids. I want to talk about another article here that you did about the, uh, the Devil's Name Game. Yeah. And uh
3: oh we got some synchro mysticism yeah, synchro mysticism
1: here. <laughs> you got to interview Lauren Coleman. I did. And our good friend Timothy Renner. Yes.
2: Well. Yes. That phenomenon has been one of the things that's always jumped out to me over over the years um uh just the 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 devil names and and you know the the strange
4: Hey Nick, are you there? I think we just lost you. I can't hear you. Well,
3: that's what happens when you start getting was, oh,
1: that's, Yeah, that's that's it. That's what happens.
2: Oh, I think uh, I think I lost uh, contact with you guys for, for a second. Yeah, like, you, you are back now. Cool. Wow, that Bring was that.
3: That was a real. Hey, there moment. you go with the. <laughs> Talking about devil names.
2: Yeah. Synchro mystical (laughs) Uh, malware attack. (laughs) So I I got to, to, uh, to talk to Lauren Coleman about it and he, he sort of jumped in with, um, you know, where, where he started noticing it, um, you know, back in his early days uh, of, uh, when he was just starting out and he, you know, how he, he, uh, was able to, to speak to Jim Brandon about it. And that, that's a whole other, uh, you know, can of worms that, you know, and he, we talked sure about, is. yeah, <laughs> we talked about the, the problematic nature of, of that and just, we, you know, a little bit of those other things, but, you know, there's still some of that like early tide research where where they had where they noticed you know the that and the Lafayette phenomenon and, and just the these odd things going on. So I wanted to go and investigate a place that that kind of had that devil name moniker uh, and see what was going on there. Um, and I, I I looked into a bunch of these places, and the one that really kind of stuck out to me was Devil's Den. In uh, Arkansas, which has a, uh, its own big story with uh, a guy named Terry Lovelace, who claimed to be uh, abducted out there. He went out there with his his, uh, his good pal Toby um, and they did like this camping trip. But they they tell all these interesting, you know, stories behind it to where they, they felt compelled to go out to Devil's Den um, they felt drawn there. They forgot a bunch of things that were going to be useful to them. And then, uh, basically at some point when they, when they arrived to devil's den, they, they experienced you know, an abduction scenario. Um, and I got to talk to Terry Lovelace about that. Uh, and that, that's an amazing story. Uh, Terry's written two books about that. So I encourage everybody to go check that stuff out. I, I got to speak to Terry for a real long time. And uh, you can just tell when someone is being very genuine. Uh, he he just struck me with so much. Um, yeah, it, it was just I was like, wow, this this guy is being very genuine with this story. So I, I definitely believe he experienced everything he did. It, it checks a lot of the boxes for for a lot of the high strangeness phenomenon that that goes on with the you know the abduction stuff. Uh, so I, I went out there. I took a a fellow investigator with me, my, my good friend, Lindsay, and we got to, we, we did a little Estes session. uh, And there were some, we got some weird answers and some weird responses and uh, it was definitely, uh, it was a memorable uh, investigation, but uh, yeah, the the devil's name places is uh, or the devil's name um, uh, association with, with places of high strangeness is uh, just something that's fascinated me for a long time.
3: Yeah. It's like uh, one of those chicken or the egg uh, questions, you know, were these places weird? Do they get that devil name because of that? And, and um, you know, a lot of times if you look into why places are named what they are, you can find a lot of weird stuff.
2: Definitely. And we got into the name game stuff. I, I got to talk to, to Lauren Coleman about that. And uh, one of the interesting things he he told me was that, um, you know, when we were going into the, the synchro mystical meaning of names he had pointed out that uh, uh his his surname Coleman and then Keel, he brought up John Keel that they were basically uh associated with uh surveyors of ley lines. That's kind of what their their last names uh were associated with. And then Terry separately had told me um that one of the first things that that came up when he was talking um uh, to people about Devil's Den was that it was a strong ley line uh, uh, place of origin in in the U.S. So it was uh, that was kind of a weird synchronicity there for that to come up twice. Um,
4: yeah.
2: Also, uh, one of the other uh, synchronicities that kind of came up with Terry is he told me when he was experiencing uh, abductions as a kid he He kind of tells the story of the these like monkey men that would come into his room and take him. and he I asked him, like, what did they look like?" And he said they looked like little circus monkeys, but one of the things he had never really spoke about was that they looked like they were wearing paper plates on their faces. And one of the things that Rogelio had told me about the kids they were seeing with mm-hmm. the black eyes in their house where he, and these two people had never met, didn't know anything. He said that sometimes they look like they were wearing paper plates on their faces and he could just see the black eyes. And Terry told me that he could see yellow eyes coming through the paper plate. So I just thought that was really weird. This, this is something I had never heard of before this like paper plate wearing faceless sort of entity. That is
3: strange. Huey. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: what, what in the world?
1: See, see, I'd never heard of that at all before. Did you get the impression? I mean, it's so hard to tell, but did you get the impression that, was speaking to Terry, and does he? Be- I guess probably, really, since he's written two books about this, does he kind of believe that this is kind of like a screen memory type of thing? That this is, or does he believe that he literally saw all these like little monkeys?
2: He was under the impression that it's just a different mask now that the, the phenomenon uses. He used yeah. to be very much under the idea that it was the extraterrestrial entities that were taking him. And now he's flipped a little bit and he just thinks this is all this stuff is somehow somewhat related and that it was just a, the mask that the phenomenon, the other chose to use to, to present itself to him. I haven't brought up to him, his, I asked him about his feelings towards Bigfoot because I was like, "Wow, these are little monkeys, right?" That are kind of yeah. coming into his Bigfoot room, babies. right? <laughs> um, and he 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 was in agreement. He he thought that um, you know that all this stuff tends to tie in together, and that um, he just felt like it was something to where he would let his guard down a little bit more, um, you know, if he was seeing monkeys versus you know anything else so to him it it's uh, like you said it's it's somewhat of a screen memory but he thinks it's also just yeah that a lot of this stuff is a screen memory it's all just whatever mask uh, they choose to use
1: I, I think the screen memory thing is it's a trope of alien abduction lore and I think that you know that's more I think not that we could really say 100% really but I think that's much more Uh, what is going on, What you just said. That just for some reason, it decides, oh, I'm going to show myself as this little monkey with a paper plate on its face.
3: Or it's the way that we are interpreting it.
1: Yes, somehow our brain makes it (laughs) a a little monkey with a paper plate on its face. Yeah, The co-creation stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do wonder with the, going back just a little bit to the Fresno Nightcrawlers thing, whether the children were really that seems more like a classic haunting to me. And they didn't really want to look into the history of the house,
2: but did you look a little bit into the history of that? So the, the history of the house of so far from my initial search on, I'm definitely trying to get a little bit more in depth stuff, but my initial search for the history of the house shows no signs of anything odd or strange. Um, the area of Fresno in general does tend to have, it does seem to be somewhat of a window area. Um, I know everybody kind of has their, their mixed feelings of, uh, the missing four one, one stuff, but yeah. that Fresno kind of falls really close to where, uh, Politis has his biggest, uh, uh, cluster area right around Yosemite national park. Um, which is ironically where they also saw the other uh, set of the night crawlers. so you know it's it's so far it's it's hard to say with with the, the history of the house I agree with you it, the the initial story seemed to be more of a classic haunting type of situation but then when you throw the the night crawlers walking across the, the lawn and just Jose's odd feeling of just being terrified out of out of his mind really, Uh, It seems like maybe something else was, was going on there a little bit too. Um, I, you know, it was, it was kind of tough to ask questions about whether Jose had any interest in, in anything else going on outside, or if anybody uh, you know, had any issues with the, I did ask if anybody had any issues with the family, but it seemed to be more of just basic uh, it's a rough area rough neighborhood and just kind of the the things that kind of come along with that. It didn't, there didn't seem to be any trickery going on with, with anybody there.
3: Well uh, sticking in Arkansas, I guess you did a, did some extensive boots on the ground in in, uh, Arkansas. Uh, You did a night in the haunted Crescent hotel and that's in Eureka Springs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was, that was fun. That, that's a little bit more of that like classic just haunting, uh going on there that that's like a, a hotel that's really famous for uh what it used to be it was run by a guy named norman baker who was sort of this like quack uh healer of he claimed that he could cure cancer and he would give people these elixirs and then basically when they started to deteriorate they would move them to the basement which was their quote-unquote morgue um So now this hotel experiences all kinds of different hauntings and, and uh, stories associated with it. They definitely lean into it. They, uh, they have their ghost tours. Um, But I did experience some, some odd things going on there. uh, When I stayed, Uh, the uh, hotel has a official hotel cat (laughs) named uh, Jasper who sort of uh, just hangs out in the lobby of the hotel and so uh, my friend went this is part of the the original trip down to Arkansas. My friend Lindsay and I, uh, we kind of tried to do like a late night 3 am uh, uh, investigation into the hotel. and the hotel cat eventually started following us around and it it would kept it kept staring at things that it would just stop and kind of stare at nothing and it uh it followed us all the way back up to our room and an interesting note is earlier in that night my investigation partner Lindsay had claimed that she saw basically a shadow being walk out of the wall Ooh. right uh kind of at one of the first couches when you walk into the room and that room was associated with this really famous photo of basically what looks to be an old timey uh, woman, just sort of like appearing in a TV backwards. She's sort of like flipped upside down. And this was during a honeymoon of a couple. They sort of snapped a picture in the room and they caught this woman in TV. So we stayed in that exact same room. Lindsay saw a shadow being come out of the wall. And uh, later on when, when Jasper the cat followed us into the room right where Lindsay had claimed to have seen the the shadow being come out of the wall, the cat stopped right in front of that wall and stared at it for a good five minutes and would like back away and then walk <laughs> a little closer back away. So there was obviously looking at something that we couldn't see. And she was like, I told you, I told you, I saw that. So it was that the sort of validated uh, some of the, the ghostly, uh, stories of the hotel so that was that was a cool that was a cool night definitely and the hotel seemed to prove it has something strange going on that's for sure
3: that's weird do you think that there's a uh from from your investigations in arkansas and uh, other places your your visit to tennessee the strange realities conference do you think there's like a particular vibe to like southern hauntology or is there do you have any insights into that or any feelings
2: you know that's 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 a good question. It, it it's one of those parts of the country, right? That's there was there was a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of history there. Um, you know, if if uh, you lean into the idea that you know the unrested spirits of the dead are you know are are, are going to be stirred up by um, you know tragedy, there there's definitely a lot going on there. Um, but then there's also just the, the customs and traditions of of people and storytelling that I think, you know, there's a lot of that with, with like the Crescent hotel. So who's to say if the hotel was actually haunted originally by spirits or now it's haunted because enough people believe that it's haunted and, and, you know, that, that kind of stirs its own activity in, in, in a, in a different way. Um, uh, you know, the really interesting idea that I've heard you guys talk about is, uh, um, there's uh, the Expedition Bigfoot uh, uh, a Museum down there, right? It's kind of like a, a big store out in Georgia, and yeah. I've heard you guys talk about how it's basically like a shrine to to Bigfoot, and now there's all this Bigfoot activity uh, that goes on. So I think so, a lot of these, the South tends to lead lean into a lot of their their hauntings. You got like the Myrtles Plantation, the Crescent Hotel uh, you know, the, the St. Augustine lighthouse, a lot of these places that are just like these big beacons for, for, Hey, there's paranormal activity that goes on here. Um, I think it's, it's interesting that maybe if enough people believe in that, uh, these places are haunted, they just become haunted. Um, that they are, they're their own sort of shrines to, to the paranormal. So uh, I think there's something to that for sure, especially down in the South. Yeah, I'd say so
1: too. And that you know that 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 idea—that's—I um, want to give credit to Timothy Renner for that because he's the one that actually uh, oh, okay kind of co- coined, <laughs> that, coined that. that. It, it really struck a bell with me because I, I've been there a couple of times to that Bigfoot Museum, and I mean it is—I mean it is exactly what Tim says it is. It, it's a it's a shrine to Bigfoot, and then people start seeing it. Uh, the Crescent Hotel, I. I is that where they do the UFO conference too in Eureka Springs? Because there is like an annual UFO conference there too.
2: I think it is. Yeah. I think yeah, they have a yeah. UFO conference around there in Eureka Springs. Yeah. it might be there. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm um, to have to maybe look at
1: the, uh, see if I can find a website or something, but, but yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. And I mean, like why, I don't know why they do a, UFO conference in eureka springs arkansas but it's just like <laughs> <Right. yeah.
3: laughs> but 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 it right. is probably it, cheap hotels
1: yeah it is and well i just there's probably somebody that just has an interest there yeah um well you know arkansas arkansas
2: was an interesting it was an interesting spot because there's just there is um i mean uh Richard Shaver eventually like uh, finished it off the yep. rest of his life, I think down in, in Arkansas. Right. And he, he went down there and was clean, he was doing like all his rock book stuff. And uh, so he, I think he went to, he settled in summit Arkansas. Um, you know, and this is Richard Shaver of all the Shaver mysteries and, yeah. and all that stuff. And it was, it was, so I went to summit Arkansas. I just wanted to kind of see like, Oh, this is where, where, where Richard Shaver ended up. And shortly after uh, or or just like a a couple of towns away there, there's like this giant rock um, that that the town basically claims is from space that they keep and they have like this little shrine. I'm blanking on the name of it, but they basically built like this little uh, altar to it. And I remember one of the things Terry told me is that um, right before they started feeling uh, they started to kind of feel like the Oz factor and sort of a change in the environment. He and his friend Toby took a a nap on these rocks. And I mean, the, 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 rock thing kind of kept coming up um, for Arkansas. So I just think that was, that was also an odd synchronicity. It's like, why did the rocks in Arkansas (laughs) keep coming up? Uh, So yeah, Yeah. I mean, Arkansas is an odd place.
3: Yeah, some other disciples of Shaver ended up there too, and there's a lot of weird stuff. A lot of that uh, Confederate gold mythology and Jesse James stuff is there, um, right? There's a lot going on in Arkansas. There's
1: the there's the Christ of the Ozarks, right? Uh, that's uh, that was built by this really weird fascist guy in the 20th century and uh, evangelical guy that uh, built this huge statue of jesus actually this year i I think it's been at the crescent hotel in previous years but this year it's at the best western in uh
2: oh. in- okay, oh, okay. <laughs> not yeah. as mysterious but still not, still
1: not as mysterious maybe the best western is haunted too you yeah
2: know.
1: you never know so i want to talk a little bit about the rakes um you interviewed uh lon strickler for this as well this is this is kind of an interesting thing since you mentioned your former website being called creepy pasta
2: so that that's an interesting concept right with the rake now is that um, you know there there are reports now of people that see rakes or they call them pale crawlers and then there's also reports of people seeing uh, Slender man and then even the black eyed kids have some ties to, to early creepy pasta so it's it's an interesting thing to where some of these things where you can source them back to being fictionally created as you can with the rake, you can with slender man. Um, Now they kind of seem to have just popped into existence and there's some pretty, you know, arguably interesting and compelling reports of, of these things being seen. So it begs that question again, you know, you get into the idea of, uh, you know, egregores or tolpas, or, or or just things sort of being manifested into reality, or is this something to where you know if uh, again, you know, you get enough people to sort of believe in something that potentially the phenomenon just sort of reacts in a way and starts showing people, okay, well, you're you, this is something that is out there in in the collective unconscious now. Now we're gonna show ourselves. Uh, in this way so there's there's a few different reports of uh, rake-like entities uh, and I kind of titled that article the rake uh, triangle and it it sort of focuses in the Sacramento California area all the way up to uh, uh, the Sierra mountain range kind of bordering on the uh, California Nevada border and then ironically enough back down to the Fresno area so there's that that Weird, the high strangeness of Fresno again. Um, and basically, yeah, the, these are creatures that look they almost look like ghouls in a way, like the old fashioned style of a ghoul, where it's just a, an emaciated humanoid figure that seems to kind of crawl on all fours. And uh, they kind of look like uh, you know, just the uh, uh, the old uh, Nosferatu, yeah. <laughs> Count or Locke vampire mm-hmm. uh and they uh they basically uh started off yeah, like you said in creepy pasta and now um Lon Strickler wrote an entire book about different sightings and and um the idea behind them being sort of these mimetic humanoids uh that have sort of came out of a, you, know, you could arguably say a mimetic virus in the collective unconscious uh so it's there it's an odd. <laughs> It's an odd uh, I guess cryptid now that they're classified, but once again, is it just another um is it just another mask for for the other?
1: yeah I remember seeing this video uh I remember seeing this creature on a video in like ten, fifteen years ago or something mm-hmm. and uh I think it was like I think somebody said it was something for like an advertisement for a video game or something like that Sure. That's what it originally was. Some kind of viral marketing campaign. Right.
2: You can trace it back. You can trace, you know, the creation of it uh, back to um uh, I believe a, a 4chan post. And it looked different when they originally kind of threw it out there. I believe it, it had uh, the face and its features looked a little bit different Um But it as it sort of uh, has progressed in more of the collective unconscious, it seems to now just fit that that classic rake, uh, you know, mold there. So, you know, it's 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 another one of those things, like I said, to where, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, the airships turning into flying saucers, turning into black triangle UFOs, turning into now these, uh, you know, tic tac shaped things or. I've heard you guys talk about, you know, the the classic wild man that was a little bit more regal and 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 actually wore clothing. So now it, it's de evolving into more of a, you know, the, the classic Bigfoot that we know that's more of a, a wild ape. Uh, so some of these things, can they just sort of progress and change and, uh, uh, you know, with the uh, different reports and different people seeing them and more people getting to know them? It's, a, it's an interesting question
1: yeah the topo effect is really really interesting
3: well, um, there's that whole uh, lovecraftian idea too that you know maybe the the fiction is like the the first manifestation of something that mm-hmm. is actually there that's coming through fiction first, but it's hinting at this this deeper reality to it
2: right, and I always think about like um like the Jim Mosley stuff right where he would call and report fake ufo uh sightings and then other people would start calling the police or whatever outlet they had and reporting ufo sightings and it's uh it that kind of stuff is the the stuff that i really find the most compelling about this phenomenon and and high strangeness to where blurred with with how these things sort of manifest and, and come into being so uh that that that's the stuff that I get I get out there on the road and try to find the answers to. But I, I don't know it's it's a pretty elusive uh, it's a pretty elusive answer. It is indeed.
3: I'll take the uh, walking pants over this guy any day. Yeah, I know.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> you might just look at the two foot tall walking pants and be like, "What? <laughs> <It's> whatever." <laughs> this is thing this coming thing? at you, just like he's not happy. He's,
2: yeah, exactly. He,
1: he, he looks a little hungry. That's you know? a, <laughs> a little worrying
2: it's interesting that they both are somewhat humanoid though. And it's, it just seems once again, I think in that article, I even I bring up the nightcrawlers to where, you know, there just seems that these humanoid beings just seem to be putty in a way for, uh, the phenomenon in general. And they, they are just potentially there may be a really raw form of something that might turn into, you know, with, with, uh, more time or more visibility that, you know, you might see a rake or a nightcrawler and then it eventually is a dogman or it's a Sasquatch or it's something yeah. you know, it's a Loveland frogman or something, you know, something something weird.
1: Well, I think the key here is that ultimately all these things are anthropomorphic in nature. Right. So this is something that we can identify with so like it makes you really wonder if other animals perceive a paranormal world do they just see something that isn't isn't in their shape
2: right not you know, so that's, what, a, what that's a
1: great is, question yes yeah, so what is going on i mean you could get real philosophical with this stuff i think oh like, definitely everything just about you know except for maybe something like a a sea monster or something that's some foreshadowing uh, sure, <laughs> is uh, is anthropomorphic in nature,
2: yeah. That's true. I mean, it's uh, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, and what does that say about you know, our, our response to how we're our acceptance of these things, the fear levels that we kind of output with them, or or uh, or uh, how we sort of uh, uh, you know, if we if, if we can if we can't comprehend something to being somewhat similar to us in a way, you know, is, is it not going to get whatever the message that the the other is trying to convey? Um, you know, so that, that like you said, that's a, that's an interesting point.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about you're going to be on a television show here pretty soon and what you're going to be
2: talking about and doing on that. Uh, I'm going to be on mysteries decoded, which is on the CW, uh, on August 10th. Uh, we will be looking into the, uh, Lake Champlain mystery of champ. Uh, so that's like, like you said, that they are sort of the outlier, uh, exception there. Uh, but, uh, that, that's also, you know, they're, they're one of the more, uh, infamous cryptids out there. These, uh, uh, mm-hmm. sea serpent like plesiosaur like monsters um, but you know when I when they uh, contacted me about doing the show and everything kind of came together I definitely tried to take a little bit of a different angle uh, with uh, other than their classic sort of cryptozoologist uh, angle I wasn't uh, you know rocking khakis in an adventure hat I think I uh, oh, man. <laughs> I think I tried to uh, point out some some interesting facts about Lake Champlain in general. And it's sort of a, again, sort of an odd window area um, and just sort of so, some of the more high strangeness aspects of champ. So I would definitely uh, tune into that. That was a really, really cool investigation. I think there's going to be some surprises when when that airs. Awesome. Um, yeah. We, we caught some interesting things. And and again, I think I tried to take a, a little bit more of a, a wider approach to looking into Champ than just uh, is there a, a plesiosaur in Lake Champlain?
3: <laughs> well, paranormal television definitely needs that influence, so we appreciate that. Is there going to be a um, is is that going to be available on any streaming services? Is CW a CW part of anything?
2: right so the c it's actually will be available the day after it airs uh so august 11th it'll be available on the cw website and the cw app for free oh Um, cool yeah so so anybody could could watch and check it out um yeah and i think it'll be there as far as i know uh for for years and years to come so yeah
3: (laughs) awesome remind us on that day and we'll uh post it so people can see that
2: Oh for sure, yeah definitely thank you guys yeah i'll i'll uh, I'll put that out there um one interesting fact that I kind of throw out about uh Lake champlain is that um you know right the the most famous sort of photo of champ is the Sandra mancy photo um which ironically enough uh the uh negative is missing, so that is so again the disappearing evidence uh mm-hmm. again yeah. you know pops its head up there. The original photo is still out, but the negative would be able to prove if there was any sort of uh, doctoring or anything uh, with that. But about 13 months, which to me is an interesting number, prior to the Mansi photo, you had the A Bear Road incident with the you know where the the Bigfoots with the red glowing eyes happened, just on the southern tip of Lake Champlain. A few months after that, there, there a nuclear plant uh, installation near Lake Champlain had all these sort of uh ufo sightings above the the power plant and it all kind of sort of culminated with the sandra mancy photo in uh 1977 so it's uh it was just to me i thought there there was an interesting thing going on with lake champlain between the year of uh 76 to 77 um to where potentially there was just a lot of high strangeness going on on that lake and i think maybe champ is tied into that and it's a little bit more uh mysterious than just um you know hey you know we we have these reports of a monster in the lake and that's it it's just a flesh and blood uh, creature
1: yeah that doesn't surprise me knowing as much about the stuff as i do how there's always this like correlation between other types of phenomenon is that the picture where like you it's like the head kind of bent over in the water is that the one you're talking about?
2: Yep, that's the picture. And one of the interesting things about that picture too that's always sort of uh, thrown away is that when Mansi described taking that picture, she talked about how the when Champ sort of reared its head out of the water that it, it moved robotically and that its mouth opened, <clears throat> excuse me, its mouth open, And she said like huge amounts of water gushed out And then it closed, it it closed back up again in a very robotic fashion, which I just thought was a really odd way to describe a potential lake monster.
1: Yeah. Something that you would think that
2: would be alive, like organically. alive. Right. Yeah. And she was very adamant about the word robotic. Um, So I just thought that was odd too. I was like, okay, well this doesn't sound, uh, you know, like, yeah, like I saw an organic being kind of just rear its head out of the water and go back in.
3: That is weird. Right, <laughs> a robotic lake monster. Does
1: the local community kind of embrace that? I'm seeing like, there's actually a, like a Vermont Lake Monsters baseball team has their own little mascot. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess he's Champy. I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah that that's that's <laughs> the local name for him is Champy. Everybody there was calling him Champy, except uh, you know, except for um, you know some of the experts that we talked to. Uh, would refer to him as Champ, but yeah that that was the that was the local name from Champy.
3: Yeah, these it's, cryptids are definitely these like economic engines for these these towns.
2: Oh, they absolutely. definitely are. That that's definitely a part of it, and I think that's a, you know that's kind of a, a cool thing in a way. You know to you know it, it, I think it spotlights these stories, which I you know I'm always going to be um, a fan of trying to spread you know, the, the, the sort of, uh, the love for this subject. So I, I definitely support that. Is he the only, are there other lake monsters in
1: the United States? Cause I can't think of there's Ogo Pogo, but that's like,
2: that's Canada, British Columbia. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's, there are, I think champ is the most heralded, uh, lake monster in America, but there are definitely a bunch out there just here. In California, our, our most famous lake monster is uh, out in Lake Tahoe called Tahoe Tessie, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that uh, that I did uh, I did a little video uh, a couple years ago about Tahoe Tessie, and I think um, that was sort of the the catalyst for for uh, people reaching out to me about different lake monster stories, and um, uh, yeah, so there, there's there's some interesting stuff out there. Um, you know, uh, uh, I just picked up, uh, uh, Joshua Cutchins, uh, 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 newest book, the ecology of souls. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still reading both volumes, but I immediately sort of was interested in jumping to the back of the book and reading his take on, uh, lake monsters and, and sort of their associations with the dead and, uh, there's some interesting ideas that he threw out there too. So lake monsters, I think are, uh, they're a little bit more, there's potentially a little bit more going on there than, uh, than meets the eye.
1: I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I've got, I've got the book, so I'll have to check that out. We're going to have Josh back on at some, some point. Cause like we said, this is Josh's magnum opus. So
2: oh gosh. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's, it's
3: uh you'll be reading that for the next year.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: The, the 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 two volumes and the compa- the companion volume.
3: Yeah, I just got them all in the mail a couple of days ago. <laughs> they they are beautiful though.
1: So, you're going to be doing something for us. Um yes, a presentation uh the the next strange realities online event August 26th. We'll be doing it to uh, I guess 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless we announce another time. But uh, Nick is going to be doing that uh, this time, and uh, just kind of give people a teaser of what you're going to be talking about.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm very grateful and very excited to be doing that for you guys. It's uh, uh it's going to focus in on motifs of high strangeness, and I'll kind of leave uh, leave it there as that little teaser. But there's a lot of correlations, and we talked about some of them tonight just odd things that tend to kind of come up over and over again and seem to be ties between, you know, all these realms of ufology, cryptozoology hauntings. So it's, uh, we're going to look into some of that, some that I've had some personal experiences with and then others I've been able to tie in with, uh, writings of, uh, of different, uh, notable investigators. So uh, I'm excited to present that.
3: That sounds Excellent. great sounds uh just right for our strange reality streaming presentations.
2: Yeah, definitely excited to do it guys. So yeah, let's uh definitely check into that. I'm looking forward to that and just uh you know, I'll be uh doing some more uh, boots on the ground stuff as uh, as time goes on. Um I have a really weird case that I've been working on for a while that deals with uh these uh manifestations of like a hag-looking woman Sort of in the the wilds of uh, Ontario, Canada, so I'm gonna go look okay. into that, which is a really really weird story and i'm I'm excited to to write that one and 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 uh give everybody the 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 scoop on that but that that's probably one of the creepier stories I've looked into um and uh like like we were just talking about uh josh's book um you know, with the nightcrawler story, this new hag story I've gotten into there, there does seem to be a lot of things that sort of always sort of culminate in the dead being associated with this somehow. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely on that, that bandwagon right now too, where this does all seem to Mm -hmm. be associated with the dead. Interesting.
3: Awesome. Well, you're doing some really great work. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. And you know we always stress too like going when you do that boots on the ground research, you're gonna encounter things that you you know may not have thought about if you're just reading books and, and doing your, your usual primary source stuff. Is there any example of something like that? Um, they're definitely in these uh, in these writings, but is there anything in, that stands out that you maybe wouldn't have uh, thought about that took you in a whole nother direction? Uh, because you actually went somewhere and maybe something caught your eye and just led you down a whole, whole nother path.
2: You know, I, th- I think th- the the biggest example of that is with the night crawler story to where yeah. that really did sort of open my eyes up to, to, you know, the, the, it was kind of just an open shut case where, yeah, the, the this guy caught this weird being kind of walk across this lawn and that sort of it, but then to to see again, you know, th- these examples of high strangeness associated with it. Where no, they were seeing black-eyed kids, which I couldn't believe. I got a real report of black-eyed kid encounters and the fear associated. And then for uh, Rogelio to bring up to me, who was the the brother of of, of Jose, who took the footage, the the um, the uh, what appeared to be paper plate. Uh, masks on the kids and then for terry lovelace to tell me that um i just thought that was really interesting that you know i yeah. did those two stories back to back and two people from very different walks of life who've you know would have never met or you know for them to to tell me in back to back stories that they saw beings with paper plates on their faces uh That's you know so just
3: weird which just,
2: yeah, was just it felt like it felt like one of the times where maybe the phenomenon was sort of winking back at me in a way to where staring to know, the abyss exactly to where I, I seemingly picked two extremely different stories the Fresno Nightcrawlers and uh the Devil Name Game and then to have that sort of uh, those two things kind of tie in together just. Uh and, and the main two things that stuck out to me were Terry telling me how much how much fear he's associated with his abductions and then Jose and Rogelio's fear of of the beings was just uh there there seemed to be uh not to get too negative. I I definitely don't all look at the the phenomenon as a as a negative thing all the time and and push the satanic panic kind of stuff, but uh there just seemed to be something odd there to where you know, there there seems to be something to uh, that the idea of this thing can kind of manifest in ways that are universal, but then also seemingly personal to you, mm-hmm. whoever's looking into the story, like in a way it retroactively fit a mold to sort of wink back at me. So that was sort of yeah. what I took away from it, which is weird.
3: <laughs> and it can definitely be dark. No matter no matter what your cosmology is, uh, there's there is definitely some darkness sometimes.
2: Exactly, and I just felt uh, for such a weird, obscure, you know, detail to a story uh, to happen back to back uh, to me just felt like you know the phenomenon in a way was retroactively letting me know that it was aware that I was writing about it, which sounds kooky. Sounds like I should be <laughs> locked up, but <laughs>
3: well, you, I, are, uh, you are an occult detective, sir.
2: <laughs> doing my best. <laughs> all right. Well,
1: that's going to be it. Nick, what, uh, what's next for you? Uh, what, what are you going to, going to be writing about what uh, exploring all that good stuff.
2: Uh, next for me, I definitely will be covering Strange Realities, which I'm excited, uh, you All know, right. to, to obviously talk about with you guys that, that, you know, what's funny is my first article I ever wrote for the magazine was Strange Realities uh, was covering that. So you guys are sort awesome. of my. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that wow. was my first article.
1: Well, you've been really busy then in the last year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have been, I have been, but I, I, I feel like strange realities and Conspira Normal is always my, uh, is sort of my bedrock return to home. So I'm definitely excited to cover strange realities. Um, I, uh, and then the, like I had mentioned that, that, uh, Hague story, but then also on top of that, I will be, uh, like we said, uh, uh hosting mysteries decoded on August 10th, uh, 8 PM, um, Uh, eastern time uh, on the cw uh and then just you could always find uh me on uh social media uh california creepypasta i should be on all the socials uh with that name uh so that's where you could find me and uh, yeah i look forward to 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 more uh bouts with the high strangeness realm (laughs) well perfect
1: that's awesome Thank you so much, Nick, for doing this. Um, stay on the line for us. We're just going to close out the show. And as Nick uh, mentioned, Strange Realities, October 14th through the 16th. Uh, some people have bought their tickets. We encourage you guys to uh, to to buy tickets. And you guys can see where the speakers are staying, which is the uh, Fairfield Inn and Suites of Music Valley. So if you guys want to stay where the speakers are Go ahead and give them a call and uh, book your hotel room. Three days uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We've got a lot of great speakers, and we're really happy to bring it to you.
3: Yeah, check that out at Strange Realities Conference.com. And if you want to catch Nick at the monthly edition of Strange Realities, uh, the speaker streaming speaker presentation, um, you can uh, get in early to that by joining our patreon and at the ten dollar level you get free admittance every month to the strange reality streaming events uh that's at patreon.com slash conspiranormal
1: and that next online event is august 26th at 8 p.m guys don't miss it uh, with the uh, nick here uh th- I think that's it. Just remember StrangeRealitiesConference.com. Get your tickets $70 here in Nashville, $30 online. And we'll see you next time on and Normal.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.